0: Welcome to Demond Does The Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. Before we get started, I want to thank all of you who left a rating and review. You helped the show get seen by more people. We're all busy these days, so I'm not going to tell you to share the show with your friends, but you can if you want. It really does help out the show. If you have any questions or suggestions, please don't hesitate to email me at Demondas all one word, D-E-M-O-N-D-D-O-E-S at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well on as Demondas all one word, and to make it pretty easy for you. Now that we've got that out of the way, and you've got that in your bookmarks, or you've written it down, or memorized it, or whatever you did. Now, let's get started. I am one lucky guy because if you heard the show a couple weeks ago, you know about my conversation with Derek Ferguson, which was amazing. If you haven't, go back and listen to it and then listen to this one again. I have with me today, she is a graduate of Spelman College, a member of the Horror Writers Association and the Carolina African-American Writers Collective. This speculative, wow, that's a really tough word to say. This speculative fiction writer is the author of 10 books, including her Immortal and Mona Live Long Paranormal Detective series. I need to be able to read my own handwriting. And has been, <laughs> it has been published in numerous anthologies, including a personal favorite, Steam Funk with an F. I bring to you Valjean Jeffers. Thank you for accepting. We were discussing before we uh, went live how you and Derek knew each other from, can you, can you tell me that uh, conference you met at again?
1: Um, the stateofblacksciencefictionsociety.com. It was a con that was held at the Atlanta Art Festival back in 2016. Okay. I had known Derek for years before then, but I met him in person. So he, he's a good friend. Uh-huh. He is a good friend. And he's very supportive of other writers.
0: I did find something else that I thought was pretty cool. You're in the 100-plus black women in horror? Is that right? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Sumoko saw and edited that anthology. And she actually managed to, she is kind of friends with Anne Rice, so she actually managed to get that anthology into Anne Rice's hands. Wow. Now, let me tell you a story. The, the weird thing about it is before Sumoko put me in that anthology, I didn't even think of myself as a horror writer. Really? Yeah. I, I thought of myself as more speculative fiction and fantasy and science fiction writer. And my readers, see, readers will tell you things about yourself. And then I went back and I looked. and She's like, you know, readers came to me and asked me, you know, they were talking about your Immortal series. That's like, like my first series. And they were talking about it and, you know, going on and on about it and, and how scary it was. was. Like, you know, yeah, it does have aspects of horror. And that, that within itself pushed me in the direction of writing horror. So with Mona Long, which is a steampunk horror series, I really went out of my way to scare people.
0: So, Miss Jeffers, are you ready to answer the six questions?
1: Yes, I am. Far away.
0: Question number one. When did you know you wanted to be a writer?
1: I actually used to write as a little girl, but I put it down. And I didn't come back to it until I was in my 40s. Really? Yep. And, and then this is really weird. I was writing nonfiction. Interesting. Yeah. So I was a big Stephen King fan at that time, though, which is weird. So I'm writing nonfiction, but I love Stephen King. And then I discovered Octavia Bump. Ah. Uh. I was like, oh, my gosh. I said, black folks do this? <laughs> Black people do this? Yeah. hmm Really, actually, before I got into it, I had read a ton of speculative fiction. But then when I found out that, that a sister was doing it, I was like, oh, my gosh, black folks do this. Yeah. hmm And so that was what started me on my path. So I guess you could say 40-ish, maybe. Okay. 40-ish. Yeah. Without telling my age. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I know the better to ask, so I'm going to just slide past that question. <laughs>
1: Ask a woman how old she is yeah I published my first book in 2007 they the first book the first novel of my mortal series
0: what prompted you to come back to it like you know we all have a lot of us have childhood dreams that we or childhood talents that we give up on for a variety of reasons um what finally said you know what I'm gonna give this a
1: run you mean writing yes or, ma'am. or writing fiction or which which one
0: uh writing fiction
1: I started having like, characters in my head. I actually discussed them with my sister. She's, she's passed on now. Uh, God rest her soul. See the And I dedicated the Mona long Paranormal Detective series to her because she always loves, she always does my writing. I discussed it with her and I discussed what I was seeing, you know, these images in my head. Then I, I just started writing them down. I don't think I was really taking myself as seriously. Is I should, but when I joined the Carolina African American Writers Collective, they were so supportive, and they gave me a lot of, told me a lot of things, technical things that I should know, and helped me to polish, polish my stuff. So that's when I really started taking it seriously, really started knuckle down and started writing. You know, just like seriously writing a novel.
0: Did you write more short stories before before you got into Immortal, uh, or did you start right writing the novel? Poetry. Poetry.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, I was published as a poet before I ever published um, a novel.
0: You took a nice circuitous route to where you're at now. That's interesting.
1: Uh-huh, you're right. It was a crooked path. It was a crooked path. If somebody had, had walked up to me and told me, I'd say, <laughs> I'm telling myself, I don't care, 10 or 20 years ago, said, you know what? You're going to be writing, you know, in, in, in uh, 20, you know, 2020 or whatever, 20, 2007. You're going to be writing science fiction. You know, I would have looked at them like they were crazy.
0: Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you started out?
1: That is a hard question. I mean, maybe I should have looked for an agent. Things were not as wide open as they are now for, for black speculative fiction. So I, I'd say that that's the only thing I can think of. Maybe I would have looked for an agent. Maybe I would have looked. Maybe I would have done some more research on marketing.
0: Mm-hmm. What would you think the impetus was for it to grow the way it has? That
1: is such a good question. Self-publishing. Before the self-publishing revolution, what we had to do was we had to shop ourselves to publish. Who right. would turn us down. You even have some black folks that say that they write with white characters in order to get published. The same thing happened to me. Okay, I self-published my own novels, but I have, been, I have stories that have been traditionally published. When self-publishing came around, it changed, it changed the playing field. See, I had sent my stuff out. Now I won't take you through that long journey. I'm not going to waste our time going through But I had, I had queried publishers before, and I got sick of it. And then the self-publishing revolution took place. And it was like, oh, okay, we ain't got to wait on them. We just do what I say, You know, and you've got the artist. Now I need to give, like I said, I'm going to give a shout-out to my guy, Quentin because he does all my cover art. Starting with, I think it was Immortal 3. He does my cover art for me, and he's also an author. So i got to give a shout-out to my fiancé. And he has a book out called Cosmic Storm. Maybe we'll get back to that. You have the artists, you know, the cover artists. you got the editors. So it's just like we could just do it for ourselves. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, ma'am.
1: We didn't have to wait on anyone. So I think that really changed. I think that changed the playing field. And what we're looking at now is a renaissance. Not just black folks, but just, say, people of color, speculative fiction. A lot of that stuff they're putting in the movies now, like I said, we were doing it back in 2000. The Black Science Fiction Society, that was like the first site, main site. that ever. Now that site has like 5,000 members. That's a big thing, you know. No more gatekeepers. Our gatekeepers are our readers.
0: Other than Octavia Butler, who are some of your other influences?
1: Nalo Hopkinson, Richard Wright. I mm-hmm. a big Richard Wright fan. Mm-hmm. I love, I love Richard Wright. Alicia McCalla is, a, is an excellent writer. There's a Milton Bellagone, O. J. tay Penelope Flynn. She's another, you know, another favorite of mine. I'm reading her, her novel right now. Did I mention it? I already mentioned the Cole Smith uh, anthology, Slay, didn't
0: I? Mention yeah. it again. <laughs>
1: okay. Slay, it's vampire anthology. It's, I have a story in it called Beautiful Monsters. There are, like, 29 authors or something in it. It's one of those big, gigantic anthologies. You know, it's going to be a big, well, pretty good-sized anthology. Like Sikorax's Daughters, that's another one. That's a horror anthology. Out. And I have an excerpt from Mona Live Long in there, edited by Linda Addison. Linda Addison is another writer that, um, that, that I enjoy reading. She writes horror, and she writes uh, poetry. Those are some of my, my influences.
0: Just wanted to take a break in the action to tell you about Different Worlds, Same Story, a podcast starring myself and class historian Madeline Rosenberg, where we re-watch the classic TV show, A Different World. We talk about the themes, how the show is still relevant, and the Wayans family. It'll make more sense when you listen. I'm not saying go and listen to the show. Just remember, new episodes of Different Worlds, Same Story drop every Thursday at 8.30 where you download this podcast. See you then. And now, back to the show. Question number three. What's your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? And I know we've... uh, during this time it, nobody's going anywhere really but
1: yeah no uh-huh. take, it,
0: take it as general or take it as take it however you want because some people have lived in a bunch of different places i had one guy give me four different uh restaurants see episode
1: three. Um, oh god some, yeah. well he likes to eat then yeah he, he, mm-hmm.
0: he, tra- he travels a lot so he likes okay, different okay. spaces yeah. and stuff you know, some people don't go out and eat and don't eat out much, so they mention something from home or something like their mm, their spouse or yeah. that they cook. So it's it's a wide open question. It's more about getting to know you, getting to know all about you, type of question.
1: <laughs> okay, since I don't go out, I can't remember the last time I ate out. What I'm going to do is um, tell you about my favorite meal that I make. <laughs> I'm laughing. Because my oldest son, Toussaint likes to cook, and I was telling him about it. It's called, it's shrimp etouffee, et etouffee. Et shrimp etouffee. Et okay. It's not a hard dish to make, but it requires a lot of steps. And like any other New Orleans or most New Orleans dish, that if it's not a dessert, it's a lot of garlic and a lot of onions, and I love both, right? Well, I was telling my son how you make it. I said, you know, in order to make the stock for the shrimp food I said, you have to, you know, chop off, you, you know, you keep your vegetable scraps, your shrimp shells. And she was like, uh, Mama, I don't want to hear nothing about that voodoo meal. That sounds like some voodoo meal that you're making, right?
0: <laughs> voodoo meal? That's awesome. Pooh- freedom- <laughs> boom- boom- <boom-boom-> <laughs> <conversation> <laughs> question number four (laughs) what are you curious about
1: i'm curious about life on other planets i'm really i'm very curious about that interesting and i've already decided that there is life on other planets and i'm just wondering are they like kind of driving by looking down at us like we don't want to deal with them earthlings they got too much drama going on (laughs) or whether they're walking amongst us already
0: how do you think we fit in the grand scheme of things
1: Probably combative. That's true. You know. Then again, I mean, they could just be kind of observing us. I would think that they were probably more advanced than we are looking at some of the stuff, you know, reading some of the stuff I've read and then like looking at some of the documentaries that they're probably more advanced than we are. So they're just kind of observing us. And I don't know really what their attitude is about us. I mean, if they want to help out, hey, (laughs) I'm all for it. We could use the help.
0: If someone was going to get into researching those types of things, what would you suggest? You, you mentioned some things that you read. What are some of the things that you've read as far as, um, like, your interest in UFOs?
1: Now, I can't recommend any books off the top of my head, but I can. They, there are some really good documentaries on Netflix. Some of them are retired generals who've seen various things. Why are you treating us like we're children? Why are you hiding? You know what I'm saying? Why are you hiding stuff from us? I know you've heard about the alien that's supposed to be, they've got some alien like deeper under some base somewhere that they've been hiding. Yeah, Netflix. Check out Netflix. That would be my first recommendation.
0: Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked you but didn't?
1: You should ask me about the novels, the steampunk novels that I have. <laughs> Say, what
0: was that? What was that again?
1: You should ask me about the steampunk novels that I have. Miss mm-hmm.
0: Jeffers, could you please tell me about the steampunk <laughs> novels that you have that I'm sure are awesome because I love me some steampunk. Actually.
1: Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay.
0: I know what steampunk is. You know what steampunk is. I don't believe we've described what steampunk with an F is yet. Would you do me the honors?
1: Sure, sure. Formal definition is steampunk is a retro-future genre based in the 19th century. When it first began, it began as steampunk. Problems that people of color had with steampunk is there were no. And it actually started in the 1980s, and I I said, God, I know it it went back that far. But the, the the problems that people had, people of color had with the genre, is that there were no people of color. So then, that's when that's how steampunk was born. And now you have black folks, and you have other people of color, Native Americans, I believe, Asian people also throwing their creativity in the pot. You have a genre that's kind of like wide open, because the only rules really for steampunk is that. There is no electricity, okay? And then, to the clothing and the machinery is kind of taken from the early 19th century. Gotcha. Okay? Mm-hmm. So you have your petticoat, pantaloon, the clothing from that era. Then it's, like, really futuristic because you might have a musket, but then it's got all these contraptions or attachments. The switch is called, the, well, it's actually the switch to clockwork. If you read Steampunk, you probably read The Switch because I had that. It started out as a story in the Steampunk, Mm -hmm. and then I decided to develop it into a novella, so now it's The Switch to Clockwork.
0: Ah, okay.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it includes book one, which is The Switch, and then there's a book two. Probably in a while since you've read it, but what it has, it has a futuristic city on top where the rich, the super rich live, the ultra rich live, and then it has like a steampunk underground. The poor are keeping the society going. That sounds familiar. They work as your maids and your, your butlers and your factory workers and even your sex workers. Interesting. So in that way, it's, it's kind of similar to like you have the ultra rich taking advantage of the poor, Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's, not, it's a little more complex than that because you have some sorcery in there. You've got some time travel. I love both. And then there's, of course, there's my Mona Livlong series. Right now I'm finishing up book number three, Mona Long Paranormal Detective, The Case of the Vanishing Child.
0: Do you have an idea on how long that series is going to be?
1: I don't know. You ever checked out the Dresden Files? Yes, ma'am. Okay. It's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. It could just go on forever. Also, so it- I guess until I get sick of it. So I had like Mona Live Long, The Case of the Angry Ghost. That was the first one. That was my first novel where I really decided to, like I said, scare people. I said, I'm going to scare folks because I'm a horror writer. That's what horror writers do, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> The second one was Mona Live Long, The Case of the Powerless Witch. Ooh. And now the, the last one that I'm releasing, which will probably, I had planned to release it sometime this summer, but it probably won't be released until September, is Mona Live Long, Paranormal Detective, The Case of the Vanishing Child. Should I drop any sites while I'm here? I love to drop my sites. Are you, or you have them, don't you?
0: I do, but you know, I bet our listeners would love to hear it from your voice.
1: Okay, okay, okay. Um... My main site is this is all lowercase all together WWW v, as in Victor Jeffers and and it's spell out qveal dot Uh like Bill the Meat.
0: Question number six If you could create if you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate?
1: Well we already have one for Martin Luther King. How about a holiday for John Lewis? I admire him greatly. He has a kind of courage, God, that I wish I had. I mean, to get out there and fight. He was a tireless warrior. He wasn't by himself, but he and men and women like him paved the way for the rights that we have today and the rights that we're still fighting for.
0: My friend is active in the fight for equality, and we talk frequently on Common Conversations with the Oddfellas, a live stream show every Wednesday starting around 7 p.m. on Facebook and YouTube. That was my pitch. Anyway,
1: <laughs>
0: I'm not a frontline warrior myself. I, you know, everybody has a part to play, and yeah. your part is support. Your part is being able to talk to people. That, that's your part. You're definitely doing your part with your writing I have a little girl here that maybe, you know, that she could be a writer. You're playing your part. You are doing Thank what you were so put much. on this Thank earth you to much. do. Thank and you so much. you're you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Um, you're put you were put on your this earth to do this and you, you finally came back to it and you know, you've been you've been handling your business ever since. You know, so Well you
1: know you know what, the the thing about fiction, you can have fun and, and make a statement. You know, and it's almost like you make the statement and your readers don't even, I mean, it's not like you up in somebody's face saying, do this, do that, do this. You know, you know what I'm saying? But you, you, you're you, weaving a plot and you're putting people in, you're putting characters in there to inspire that you hope will inspire your readers. Mm. And you hope will kind of show them, you know what I'm saying? Show, show people a different way. Write what's possible. You know, I always say this. I do not read to get depressed. I read to get inspired. Mm. If something is depressing, I don't want to read it. Same thing with T V programs. I die pass. If I want to get depressed, I turn on the news. That's what I try to do and, and that's and there are other authors that do that. Inspire me.
0: Do you have a codified creative process? Like how do you, like how do you create your art?
1: I start out with usually a character and then sometimes a setting the setting is right behind it. it might It's, it's something really just kind of really general, like, okay, I want this character to be a sorceress. I want her to have, and this is Mona Livlong, I want her to have preternatural power. And so that's kind of vague and, you know, it's kind of general. And then I'm like, okay, and I want the setting to be, and the setting kind of, as I'm writing, it kind of develops, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, with Mona Livlong, I think I went, after right away I went after a steampunk because I love myself some steampunk and I wanted I wanted to be set in the 1970s which kind of I know it kind of throws my office off sometimes but you know steampunk is is an alternate universe so you can basically do whatever you want to do this is the way I want her to look and it grows as you're writing a lot of times believe it or not when I put my writing down I start to dream about it and it's like they're like hey You know, you need to get to work. (laughs) And we don't bug you until you do this. Thank
0: you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for talking to a perfect stranger. And thank you for listening to this perfect stranger, or am I just perfectly strange? And remember, if you haven't, leave a rating and review wherever you download this podcast, and we'll see you next week. So until next time... See it, hear it, speak it, live.